Last Sunday, we began a sermon series uh, entitled Enough, and it was a sermon series based on the book of Colossians. And uh, we titled it Enough because of what the church was going through. This is a church uh, in Asia Minor in which Paul had never been there. It was founded by a man by the name of Epaphras who uh, had been led to the Lord by Paul earlier in another city, the city of Ephesus. So as Epaphras had founded this church, he then came back to Paul while Paul was in prison in Rome and gave him a report about the church. And so Paul's writing a letter to this church of believers, first of all, to encourage them and to let them know, hey, he's excited about them, about their decision for Christ and about this new church. But then also he's dealing with a problem that's happening in that church. There's a heresy uh, that's beginning to build up and causing some difficulty there. Uh, it's best phrased as a syncretistic movement. Now, uh, something if it, when you talk about syncretism, what that means is you mix a lot of different elements. So if you had a belief structure here and you actually uh, you may, uh, put some other elements together with it, it turns out that it changes what that belief structure is. And so for them, there were a number of things that were coming in. They had the basic gospel of Jesus Christ, but then they were adding some Jewish elements of ritualism, legalism, uh, certain days they need to recognize. And then there was also a pagan element of uh, where they were introducing superstitions and uh, astrology and magic and some esoteric knowledge. And, and you poured all those together and, uh, and there was enough Christianity within it that they then presented it as, hey, this is, this is the best gospel. But it was not a true gospel. It was a, it was a teaching in which um, Jesus had a place, but he didn't have... A supreme place. It was a teaching in which they didn't deny Jesus, they just dethroned him. And so for us to get a visual understanding as to what that would look like today, uh, last Sunday uh, we did a uh, sort of a visual, um, uh, I guess illustration was my best way of putting it, to where we took two different beakers over here. One beaker, we filled it up uh, with this uh, beautiful blue water, filled it up to the top, and this represented the true gospel the gospel that's, uh, that uh, Paul had taught Epaphras and Epaphras had taught those in Colossae. And then we took another beaker and just filled it part way up and said, okay, this is, the, this is the gospel, but we're only putting it halfway. And then we began to talk about in today's culture, there are different uh, syncretistic elements that get added into today's gospel. Those can range everything from uh, tolerance that goes to the extreme to where it's not just that I respect what you believe, but you have to agree with me, and uh, we need to be uh, take the things out of the Scripture that might seem to be uh, a little bit difficult to, to swallow. So let's take out the thing that Jesus is the only way, or let's take out the fact that uh, we could spend eternity separated from God. And so we, we need to uh, pour in some of those beliefs. And then secondly, we also begin to add in some prosperity gospel that God wants you to be rich and never to get sick. And then at the same time, we could add in some things, some me things. It's all about me and that God just wants me to be happy and that sounds good. And then uh, some even go so far as to say God's got a favorite political party or God's got a favorite uh, political news channel or God's even got a favorite football team. And we take all that and we pour it in. Well, when you begin to pour that in, you'll see that there's a discoloration. And then at the end, what you come up with is something that looks entirely different. And so if this is true Christianity, this is Christianity with all the syncretistic elements in there. It is not the true gospel. This is the true gospel. 
And what Paul is saying is that this true gospel is enough. And so when the, the first message that we uh, preached last Sunday, verses 1 through 8, it was uh, Paul talking about the message of that gospel and what the true gospel was about. And in verses 9 through 14 that we'll talk about today is Paul's prayer to the church at Colossae. And so I hope you have your Bibles open, and I'd like you to open it to the first chapter of Colossians. And we'll take a look at verses 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14. And so Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And um, as he has hit this part here, he then moves into a second portion of his prayer in verse 11. And he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so this is a <clears throat> is a really a weighty prayer as to what he is uh, praying for this church. And I want you to keep this in mind. Paul has been a believer for uh, almost 30 years. So for if you put ourselves in the place of these Colossians, we're new believers and the apostle Paul who is a mature believer is writing a letter to us, and in this particular point, he is praying for us. And so I want to dig in to what his prayer is all about, and it relates to us and everything that we can do in our Christian walk. And so there's three main breakdowns in this prayer, and the first thing is this, and that is to embrace your purpose, to embrace your purpose. Well, Paul, when he prays this prayer, he begins to uh, give them an incredible purpose that they have. Now, whenever you receive Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you're born again. You become a new creation. So you're a new creation. You're a new person. That also means that you have a new purpose in life. And Paul lays it out. Look at the very first thing he says. You are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That means you are to know God's will. And so uh, as he's leading these people, he said, I'm praying that you'll be filled to the fullest. You'd be filled to the fullest of knowing what God's will is. And once I understand what God's will is for my life and comprehend that, then that helps me go in the right direction. But see, then you ask, you say, well, how would I know God's will? I need to be filled up with God's will. He then tells you the second thing, and that is you need to seek all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Seek spiritual wisdom and understanding. And when you think about spiritual wisdom and understanding, this is not something that you just fall into. You don't just fall into that. You don't just happenstance into spiritual wisdom and understanding. You've got to seek it out. And you have to seek this out. And you seek it out by praying and reading God's Word and by worshiping together. And by you getting involved in, in what God is doing, then He begins to disclose to you this spiritual wisdom and this understanding. So this is His prayer. Listen. I want to fill, you need to be filled up with the knowledge of God's will. You need to be seeking uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And there's a purpose for that. So that, 
and then you see where it is, that we're to live a life pleasing to God. And that's the third point he gives you. Live a life pleasing to God. The way he phrases it here is to so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, the only way you can get to verse 10 is to get to verse 9. That means you need to know God's will. You need to have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. And you have that so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, what happens is a lot of times when we talk about we want to know God's will, we believe that we want to know God's will because then that will make life really good for us. And it gets to be me-centered. And we begin to think that, you know, if I was in God's will, then that means that I will find the perfect mate, have the perfect marriage, have the perfect kids, have perfect teeth, will make straight A's, and all my investments will be high-yielding, and life is wonderful. That's just not the way it is. It's not about you, and it's not about me, but it's about the Lord. And the reason I want to know God's will, and the reason that I want to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that. I can live my life pleasing to the Lord, walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him. And now, when we think about that phrase, being worthy, walking in a manner worthy, it calls me back to the book of Acts. And so uh, if you wanted to, if you've got your Bibles, you could turn back to Acts chapter 5. Because in Acts chapter 5, when the New Testament church was just going uh, and, uh, and it began to see growth take place, it also began to see persecution. And when the apostles stood and they preached, uh, they got arrested and the religious leaders told them, don't come back again. You do not need to be preaching the gospel. But before they sent them out, they did something to them. And it's found in verse 40 and 41. And he says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. This passage says that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that walking worthy of the Lord may mean persecution. It may mean we experience suffering. And so you can be right in the middle of God's will and yet still be going through a time of persecution, a time of suffering. And in the midst of that, you are to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. And so he's praying this to this church at Colossae. You need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. You need to receive and seek after spiritual wisdom and knowledge. And then you need to live a life that is pleasing to God. But then he comes to the fourth point, and then he says that you're bearing fruit in every good work. And so the fourth thing that we need to do is we need to bear fruit in every good work. And, whoa, that just went sharp on me. All right, you need to bear fruit in every good work. Uh, Bearing fruit in every good work. That means that, um, that everything that I do, I need to be bearing fruit for the gospel. And uh, it's not just doing good works, but it is bearing fruit for good works. And so as I'm walking in this manner pleasing to God, the natural outcome, the natural outgrowth of this is that I would bear good fruit. He says, this is what I'm asking for you to do. Represent Christ in everything that you do. And then the very last thing is to increase in your knowledge in God, to grow in your knowledge of God. 
And so as you grow in your knowledge of God, all of this adds up to where I've learned more about who he is. But see, knowing God is a progressive thing. This is a tense that says you continually grow in your knowledge of God. So it's like when you first meet someone. When you first meet them, you don't know them in their totality. You have to spend a lot of time with them. And the more time you spend with them, then the more you get to know them. And you grow in your knowledge. This is the same with God. And if you follow what Paul is praying for them, and just think about this veteran is praying over these young believers, and he says, okay, guys, let me tell you, you need to be filled to the knowledge of God's will. And to do this, you need to seek wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And when you do that, you will begin to live a life that is worthy of God, that is fully pleasing to him. And when you're living a life that's pleasing to him, you begin to bear fruit in every good work that you do. And in the midst of doing all those good works, then you're going to increase in the knowledge of God. And as I'm more obedient to him, if I also discover that I'm learning more about who he is, learning about his character and learning about the content of who he is. So what the first thing that we need to do, we need to embrace our purpose. And this is our purpose in verses 9 and 10. But then the second uh, part of his prayer, he says, is we need to lean into the power of God. You need to lean into the power of God. Verse 11 says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. May you be strengthened in power. That word strength is the same word that's in Philippians 4.13 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything because of the strength I get through Christ. And the prayer for Paul is, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened with all power through his glorious might. The same power that created the universe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that God has for you. Because when I go back to the first part, I've got to live a life that is pleasing to God. How do I do that? He says, I will strengthen you with all power. I pray that God would strengthen you with all his power. And then he throws in three things that we rely on his power. The first one is endurance. And then the second one is patience. He says endurance and patience. And I would think that if, uh, if we uh, took, a, uh, took a poll out there for those that are watching this right now uh, and said what are some of the most, dip- the most difficult things you deal with or the struggles you have, I think most of us would have these two listed somewhere at least in our top five. Because there's such a, uh, when things start getting negative, it's so easy to say, I just want to quit. I just want to throw in the towel. I want to give up. And he says, listen, you can be strengthened by the power of God to have endurance, to don't give up. And then patience, yikes. We have less and less patience. We can get things quicker today than we can have ever been able to get them before. And because of that, I think it's made it even more difficult for us to be, to be patient. Uh, I was thinking uh, t- uh, this week when about this patience. Uh, you know, today, if, um, if you just remembered that uh, all of a sudden, oh gosh, I've got to do a report on the American Revolution. I've got to get it turned in tomorrow. Uh, you can just go on your phone or go on your computer and go to Wikipedia, pick up some stuff on the American Revolution, cut and paste, put a report together, format a document, print it out, and you're done. 
Uh, back in my day when I was growing up, if I found out at the last minute that I had to do a report on the American Revolution, I'd have to wait till my mom got back in town from grocery shopping, get in the car with her, drive to the library, go to a library, go find a book. I could check out a book, but if it was an encyclopedia, I couldn't check it out. I'd have to find a Xerox machine to Xerox copies of those pages and then carry all that back home and then handwrite that note because we didn't really have typewriters uh, back in around the high school days where I could type up a report and had to handwrite that whole thing. And then, whew. But see, today we can get things so much quicker. And since we can get things so much quicker, then it just seems like uh, if we have to wait, it just stretches our patience. And see, he knows. He knows us. And he knows that we have a tendency to want to quit. We have a tendency of wanting to get impatient. And he says, God gives us the power to do that. But I love what he added in here. He added the word joy. He says, endurance and patience with joy. Now, I've, let a, I've met a lot of people that have endurance and patience, but they ain't got a lick of joy. I mean, they got that old sour face, and they're mad, and they're upset, and they're always complaining, and it's the woe is me, and feel sorry for me, what I'm going through. That's not what Paul said at all. He said, you got to have endurance, you got to have patience with joy. And he's writing from prison, folks. He's writing from prison. And he could have easily said, hey, Endure like I'm enduring. Hopefully you have patience like me, and I'm as miserable as can be. He says, no, with joy. So in patience and endurance, and you do this with joy, and the only way you get that is through the power of God. And that's what he's prayed for them. He says, you need to lean in to the power of God. Lean in to his power. I remember many, many years ago uh, hearing a story that was always used for, for sermon illustrations is uh, how a man had, had ordered a car from England, and it was a real expensive, uh, fancy car, and um, when, uh, uh, when the car was getting ready to come, he had some questions about it, and so they sent him all these specifications, and, but he wanted to know, he says, how much power does it have? How much power does this car have? And so he, he went to the engineers, and, and they gave all these uh, definitions and uh, worked out all these different equations, sent it back to him. And he said, no, 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 I just need to know. I said, give me how much power does this car have? And they kept sending it up the line of people answering his question. It never really gave him the answer he needed until he finally got to the top of the organization. We got to the top of the organization, uh, and the question came to him. He sent him a response back, and he sent the response back, and it was one word enough. That's all you need to know. You got enough power. And when we look over here and say, well, how much power does God have to strengthen me, to give me endurance and patience and to do this with joy? What he says is enough. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in the whole book of Colossians. Listen, the power of God, same power that created the universe, same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is enough for whatever you need and for whatever situation you're in. So as you begin to walk through life, you need to embrace your purpose, understanding the will of God, understand what, what that is, live pleasing to him, and begin to increase your knowledge of God. And then you lean in on the power of God, because you cannot do this on your own strength. It is only through the power of God that you can do this. And when you lean in on his power, he'll give you endurance, he'll help you with your patience, and he'll do it all with joy. But then the very last thing is to express thanks to God for his provisions. Express thanks to God for his provisions. Uh, in verse 12 through 14, he says, you do all of this giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints 
in light. Now, we express thanks to God. Look what he has provided. I mean, verses 12, 13, and 14. This is, this is just incredible what God's done for us. Look at verse 12. Very first thing he says, he has qualified you to sh- for an eternal inheritance. He has qualified you for an eternal inheritance. And you know, if that came up on the screen, it would really be incredible on there. Look at that. It does. Qualified you for an eternal inheritance. And so when you think qualified, it means uh, I'm not able to get an internal, uh, an eternal inheritance because I've not done what is necessary to do that. God's done it for you. He's qualified you for an eternal inheritance. And so when, uh, when we step out of this world, we step into eternity, God's already done the work for you. And if we've accepted his gift, we're there. He says, I've qualified you for that eternal inheritance. It's not based on human effort. It's not based on merit. But it's strictly based on what we've done with his son, Jesus Christ. So that was the first. Number two, it says he delivered you from the tyranny of darkness. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And so this tyranny of darkness that we're in, all of us have sinned. And because we've sinned, we've been separated from God. And since we're separated from God, we are living in a tyranny of darkness to where the evil forces of the world are the things that help drive our lives and and they have a control over us. And there is no escape from that world except what God can do. And what God did, he says, he delivered you from that tyranny. He took you out of that and he delivered you. But you see, just being delivered from something is not all you need. You need to be transferred to something and that was the third point because he says he then transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son he transferred you transferred you to the rule of christ that word transferred is also translated reestablished he is reestablished i just love that i was i was over here in darkness and in god came he delivered me out of that and he placed me over here and when he placed me over here he reestablished me in a new domain and it's in the realm of his son that means the reign and the rule of jesus christ and this is what god has done for us so he's given us this eternal inheritance he's delivered me from the tyranny he's placed me over here transferred me to where i can uh, be in the reign and rule of his son and then he says the fourth is that he is redeemed he redeemed and forgave your sins through christ redeemed and forgave your sins through christ because he says it's this is for his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins And so it paints another picture. Redemption means that you were in slavery and then someone came and they freed you from slavery. They redeemed you. They paid a price for you. And while we were enslaved to sin and enslaved to a life that was separated from God, Jesus Christ went to the cross, died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, shed his blood for us, and then redeemed us he then said hey i'll pay the price for you and i'll give you freedom and because of what he did if we accept that gift then we are transferred from the tyranny of darkness over into the realm and the rule and the reign of jesus christ and god has done that for us and so when paul is laying out a prayer for the colossians He's reminding them, you need to express your thanks to God for all the provisions that he has done. 
Now, what a prayer that is. Isn't that incredible? Embracing our purpose, and then we lean into the power of God, and we express thanks to God for all the things that he's done. Now, I hope that you, as you look at this prayer, you will see that that it is a prayer that's being prayed for your life. But I'd also encourage you to learn these verses. Learn what's in that verses 9 through 14. And oftentimes when people say, I want you to pray for me, but I don't know exactly how, you just pray some of what's in here. You can't go wrong with that. To pray that someone would be filled with the knowledge of God and that they would get this in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would live a life that is, uh, that is fully pleasing to God, to live a life that is uh, in the, uh, a manner of, that's worthy of the Lord. And, and when you pray something like that, that they would continue to increase in their knowledge of God and that God would strengthen them for all uh, endurance and patience and he'd be able to do this with joy, And then in the midst of that prayer to present thanksgiving and say, God, I'm so thankful that you've qualified them for an eternal inheritance. And I'm so thankful, God, that you've taken them out of a tyranny of darkness and that you've put them into the reign and rule of Christ. And I thank you, Father, that what you have done is that you have redeemed us and you've forgiven us uh, of our sins. And so pray that over others and, and allow God to be able to do some special things in their heart and allow the Spirit to work in their life. So that's Paul's prayer for the church. And his prayer for the church reminds us that God is enough. And may we go through this week being reminded of all the things that God has done for us and know that he is enough. And let's embrace that. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the clarity of your word and for all that it teaches us. And uh, I pray for each person that's listening today that uh, you'll speak to their own hearts and that it'll be a word of comfort and encouragement and challenge, even as it was to those young believers there in Colossae. And Father, may we always, as we walk through our days, seek your will, not for selfishness, but because we want to live a life that is worthy of the Lord and that is fully pleasing to you. And that as we live that life, we will continue to increase in our knowledge of God. And so, Lord, guide us. And I pray, especially during this time of the storm, as, um, as we begin to get the uh, sort of the brunt of it, and then even the after effects of that, that you'll protect people, protect property, and, uh, and allow us to come through this just fine. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.